is the Sideline Dissonant Podcast, coming to you from iTunes and YouTube, among other things. Follow me on Twitter, at the Brad Whitaker. I am the Brad Whitaker. Uh, lots to talk about today, as always. Going to talk a little NBA about the Cleveland Cavaliers, a team that's struggling, and LeBron James going through his midseason, his annual midseason emotional drama. I'll get to that. I'm also going to talk about the Atlanta Falcons, a little brief preview of the Super Bowl 51. I'll give my more comprehensive preview later this week. Uh, but first, the story that's on everyone's mind, Ben Roethlisberger, is he going to retire? Now let me go out and say this, I do not think Ben Roethlisberger will retire, but he was quoted in a radio interview uh, saying that he's considering it. Uh, and, of course, uh, the media is quote-mining the hell out of that interview. It was a brief sentence he said, pretty much in passing, and I don't believe he's going to retire. And I think if you're going to quote-mine, as the media does with everything nowadays, you take the sentence that I think is more significant from Big Ben, which was he's considering all options. And uh, Big Ben hasn't been shy this season in saying that he thinks the Steelers coaching staff hasn't performed very well. You know, they had a bad loss against the Dallas Cowboys at home, uh, I think, was it back in November? It might have been later. I think it was early November. And, uh, you know, Dallas played a good game, but Pittsburgh underperformed, as they often do. They underperformed against New England, and Big Ben was critical of his team and critical of his coaching staff. And I think as Roethlisberger matures and Pittsburgh has a reasonably young roster that that uh, veteran defense that they once had is is pretty much gone at this point. Uh, the Steelers are going to have to look to rebuild, and there's just too many distractions on that coaching staff. Uh, you know, there was the the assistant coach who went out and got arrested, and the Antonio Brown distraction uh, on Facebook Live. Uh, and then there's Mike Tomlin, who I believe has underperformed as an NFL head coach. And, you know, he inherited a great team in Pittsburgh. They won a Super Bowl. But sometimes when you're a coach or you're an owner, a manager, president of the United States, any sort of leadership role you have, it takes a few years for things to come to fruition. And I think Mike Tomlin, when he won that Super Bowl, he was still running a system that was largely due to Bill Cowher. You know, I think the Washington Redskins and their success these last few years have fingerprints from Kyle Shanahan when he was their offensive coordinator. And and Mike Shanahan when he was their head coach. They're the ones who brought in Kirk Cousins when everybody else in the organization was saying, Robert Griffin III is our franchise quarterback. Well, how did that work out? It takes a few years, and Mike Tomlin, I'm not saying he's a bad NFL head coach, but as time has gone on, you've seen the maturity level of his team go down, and as Big Ben has seen some of these more buttoned-up teams in the NFL, like the Patriots, or the Cowboys of late, or the Seahawks in the last few seasons, or even the Broncos, who just missed the playoffs and would have made it had they been in a weaker division this season. He's seen some of these more buttoned-up NFL franchises, and I think Big Ben is frustrated with it. Now, 
this signal that he might retire, I don't believe it. I think he at least has a couple of years left. Uh, but what I think is more likely is that Ben Roethlisberger could ask for a trade. And I know that sounds crazy, but here's a man on his way out, and he wants to be part of a team that has that is disciplined, that looks at things objectively, doesn't badmouth the other team, call them assholes a week before a game. He doesn't want to be on a team like that anymore. And I think, you know, the Steelers, they're an emotional team. They're very young. They stress the running back and the wide receiver position, which I argue is are two positions you really should look at last. I think you should look at your defensive line. I think you should look at your quarterback and your offensive line. Maybe, maybe bring in a good defensive back or two. And then you think about a wide receiver or a running back. It's the Bill Walsh technique. And I, I just I think Big Ben is frustrated at this point in his career being on a team that seems to underperform every season. And you know it's it, it's tough because I, I think Ben Roethlisberger he's obviously received a lot of criticism in his younger years and much of it deservingly so but He's at a point in his career where he says, hey, I'm on the way out. I want to be part of an organization that looks at things objectively week to week. And after losing to a team like the Patriots and underperforming, you can't blame him for at least considering all options, as he said. Now, I don't think retiring is one of those options. That's the headline going around today. Is is Big Ben going to retire? It's the headline I have on the screen right now. But I think what's far more likely is the Steelers trade him away. And then maybe they could bring in someone like Tony Romo. Uh, They could trade for Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, There's a lot of options Pittsburgh could have if they traded Ben Roethlisberger, who still has a few great years left. Obviously, he's had some injury issues. Uh, He hurt his ankle. Uh, he's getting up there in age. He's not—he's not the most mobile quarterback in the world, but he has depended on his mobility for much of his career. I think he's a lot like Cam Newton in that respect, just with more accuracy throwing the football. He's a bigger playmaker than Cam Newton is, and I—I uh, I, I think I wouldn't be surprised at this point. And Roethlisberger—it hasn't just been this season; it's been in seasons past that he's been critical of the coaching staff in Pittsburgh. And a lot of that goes up to Mike Tomlin and the people he surrounds himself with. And I wouldn't be surprised if at some point in this offseason, Roethlisberger asks for a trade. I don't know where. I really don't. But, you know, San Francisco's going to be looking for a quarterback. We don't know who their general manager is going to be, but it's fairly certain at this point that Kyle Shanahan will be their head coach. They're they're probably not going to make that announcement until after the Super Bowl, or, or perhaps this week the announcement will be officially be made the off week before the real preparation begins for, for the big game. But uh, I think Big Ben's time in Pittsburgh is numbered. I really do. And you know maybe he'll go one more season there. But he's frustrated with that coaching staff. He's frustrated with the culture of that organization. And you can't blame him for it. He wants to get to another Super Bowl. He's tired of, you know, all these roadblocks in the AFC. You have to get by Peyton Manning. Well, that's gone now, but you still have to get by Tom Brady. And if you're Tom Brady, you know, Brady, look, he's on the cutting edge in health, nutrition, recovery. 
Uh, he understands inflammation, which most athletes do not. And, you know, I, I think, I really believe Brady at least has five good years left. I know that sounds crazy. He's about to turn 40 years old. But if Big Ben retires or goes to another team or goes to a team in the NFC, it's looking pretty good for Tom that he's going to make a few a few more Super Bowls. Unless, of course, the Patriots organization moves on with uh, Jimmy Garoppolo. But I just don't see that happening. I think he's good trade bait. Uh, but for Big Ben, you know, time is limited at this point. And, you know, he's not the healthiest quarterback, but he's tough. He plays through injury. He he comes back from injury probably quicker than he should often. It usually takes a week or two when he gets back to be at 100%. But, uh you know, I, I don't blame him for being frustrated with this Pittsburgh culture. I think the Steelers are on the verge of re- rebuilding. I really do. And, you know, Big Ben, you don't, I can't blame him for everything he's going through right now. I think he wants to be part of a more buttoned-up organization. And I don't know where that's going to be, but uh, who knows? Who knows? It, it should be an interesting offseason. And, again, I really wouldn't be shocked if Roethlisberger asked the organization to trade him. So the uh, Cleveland Cavaliers are in a bit of a slump right now, Uh, and uh, I call this the annual LeBron James drama queen moment last season. Well, was it last year or the year before where he was really critical of Kevin Love and talked about fitting in and fitting out and... He was creating all these rumors about leaving Cleveland, and, you know, LeBron never said he wanted to leave Cleveland, but he was stoking the flames, which the media jumped on right away, and uh, he's been critical of his team of late, because they're, they're in a bit of a losing slump, and his biggest critique is that the Cleveland Cavaliers roster doesn't have enough depth. Now... The thing is, and I have to give credit to the Cleveland Cavaliers this season, I'm a big fan of LeBron James, I really am, and I I say this on every podcast, I think the MVP award should have gone to LeBron James his second season in the league, and he should have won it every year since, but we know it's the players that grab the most headlines, and it's typically point guards that have high vertical jumps and make flashy plays that tend to win the MVP award. Derrick Rose, Russell Westbrook, James Harden... uh, you know, it's going to be Westbrook this year, unless Harden runs away with it, I really think. But we know LeBron James is the most valuable player in the NBA. And he's being critical right now because he's, he said, we have me, we have Kyrie Irving, and we have Kevin Love, and that's it. Of course, if I were Tristan Thompson, I'd be pretty pissed off about that quote. And if I were players on the Cavs bench, I would also be pissed off. But... Here's the thing, you got to keep your eye on the prize in the NBA. It's a long season, 82 games, and then you have a three-month playoff for the most part. Two and a half, three months. And LeBron James knows this. He's been taking days off, one or two games a month all season, because he knows he needs that rest, because what really matters 
is April, May, and June. And, you know, the Cavs are only, I think, what, two and a half games up in the Eastern Conference at this point. Their lead at the number one seed is closing. Toronto's getting closer. Uh, Boston, I think, is becoming a better team. Same same thing with the Wizards. Nobody's paying attention to what the Wizards are doing right now. And uh, they're, they're Brooks, their head coach, uh, I think he's an underrated coach. I think he did a good job in Oklahoma City dealing with the chemistry issues between Westbrook and Durant. And, uh, you know, they got lucky bringing in Billy Donovan, who I think is a decent head coach. But I don't think he's quite as good as uh, uh, Scott is it Scott Brooks. Yeah. Uh, but here's the thing about the Cavaliers. They're... It doesn't matter what seed they have. They can slip to the 8th seed, and as long as they have LeBron and Kyrie and Kevin healthy going into the playoffs, they're going into the finals. They don't need home field advantage, home court advantage. And I, I it's it's kind of strange because LeBron made this quote what 2 weeks after the Cavs brought in Kyle Korver. The issue was J.R. Smith went down in Cleveland. Oh, we don't have enough shooting. And then they're just able to get Corver somehow. You know, they're able to bring in these pieces because they have LeBron James. And because the Eastern Conference is so top-heavy with just one team at the top. Everyone wants to be a part of that team that has a chance of winning the title. And, and I still, even with this slump going on right now, I would pick the Cavaliers to win the NBA title. Warriors are slumping too. This is what happens in the middle of a long 82-game season. And you need to have some perspective on it. Now, you don't accept you don't accept the losses. You figure out how to plug the holes. You look at things objectively. You practice. You rest. And you turn things around. The Cavaliers are going to be fine. It doesn't matter if the Raptors or the Celtics or the Wizards or the Pacers who've been playing better... It doesn't matter if any of those teams catch them because it comes down to who has the most playmakers in April, May, and June. And Cleveland, look, in the NBA playoffs, you play, you in the NBA season, rather, you play about an 8, 9, 10-man rotation constantly. You have the Celtics coach, Brad Stevens, he'll play, he'll play 11 to 12 men a game. You, you need these big rotations because it's a long season. People need rest, and people need reps, too, to, to use football terminology. And uh, it's not that way in the NBA postseason. You have about six, seven guys that you go with, and that's it. Because you want to go to the players that you trust the most. And LeBron, he's going to play 35, 36, 37, 38 minutes a game, and... That's just what happens. It's late January right now. The Cavaliers are slumping, but this happened last year. This happened the year before. This happened when LeBron James was in Miami. Don't say your team doesn't have enough depth. You, The Cavaliers have more depth than most teams in the NBA. Right? A team that doesn't have depth is the Golden State Warriors. That's why they're struggling a little bit too. This is what happens. I've always said the NBA season is too long. 82 games is too much. All right? You can play an 82-game season, but you shorten the playoffs. You know, they used to have a best-of-five-game series in the first round of the NBA playoffs, and the networks were like, well, we, we, want, we want more games. So that's what we need is a... <laughs> More games between a number one and a number eight seed when we know who's going to win. 
All right, the Cavs are going to be just fine. LeBron is going through his midseason emotional strife. He's going to get over it. I'm a big fan of LeBron, but sometimes when his team isn't playing well, his ego gets in the way, and Cavaliers are going to be all right. They're going, in all likelihood, they're going to have the number one seed, but even if they don't, it doesn't matter. They're going to play seven men on their team anyways when the playoff comes around, even if they're a fourth or a fifth seed, which they won't be. Even if that's the case, they're still going to storm through everyone. You know, maybe Toronto could challenge them. Maybe Boston could challenge them. Maybe Indiana. I, I, I don't really buy into the Wizards that they're going to contend with the Cavaliers. They've beaten up on a lot of bad teams, although they're playing good basketball right now. But Cleveland's going to be fine. You just need to relax a little bit, LeBron. It's a long season. You know this. That's why you've been taking so much time off. You need it. What counts is April, May, and June in the NBA. Good teams are going to have slumps in February, January, and early March. That's just what happens. You just need to be buttoned up by the end of the season. But we're only halfway through at this point. I'm a Patriots fan, we all know this, but uh, I, as someone who, who tries to analyze sports as objectively as possible, uh, I'm proud to say I jumped on the Atlanta Falcons bandwagon earlier than most people did. Uh, I made a video, like week 14 or 15 of the regular season, saying, here are four teams you need to watch out for in the playoffs, and the Falcons were one of them. And, uh, they're just a very complete team in a lot of ways, and, you know, they don't have an amazing defense, but they have a defensive-minded coaching staff, they have arguably, uh, Beasley, arguably the best pass rusher in the NFL, the best pass rusher in the NFC, I think, and, uh, they've gotten, that defense has gotten better week after week after week, and we all know how dangerous they are offensively. Uh, they scored almost 100 more points than the second highest scoring team in the NFL, the New England Patriots. I think it was like 90 points additional than the, the New England did. And we know how complete New England's offense is, even without Gronk out there. Uh, but it's the Falcons have benefited from matchups so far in the... Uh, NFC playoffs, and I'm going to push back a little bit. Now that everyone's jumping on the Atlanta bandwagon, I'm going to push back. And it's not because they're playing the Patriots. I'm just analyzing what I've seen when they played Seattle and when they played Green Bay. Now, I, I really like Dan Quinn as a head coach. I also really like Kyle Shanahan as an offensive coordinator. I I don't believe when Shanahan leaves, I don't think this is an outlier season from the Falcons as one of my favorite talking head radio hosts has said, this isn't the Panthers from last year. Uh, I think they've done a good job building up this organization. I suspect after this season, the offense will take a step back, but the defense will take a step forward, so they could be just as good next year uh, because Shanahan's going to be gone. It, it's, he's going to the San Francisco Niners. He'll be their head coach next season. Uh, but 
What Atlanta benefited from in the NFC Divisional round was a weak offensive line from Seattle. They're the youngest, the most underpaid, and the weakest offensive line. Youngest and least paid offensive line in the NFL, and the weakest offensive line in the NFL playoffs going in. And they frustrated the hell out of Russell Wilson, who's had a tough season, an inconsistent season, because his O-line just hasn't stepped up. He's done well against teams with a weak pass rush. I think that's why he beat the Patriots. I like the Patriots' defense, uh, but they don't have much of a pass rush. And uh, Atlanta, they uh, they do have a pass rush. They have Vic Beasley. And uh, they've installed a lot of pieces. They're young. They're fast, too. It's a fast defense. And offensively, they have a ton of weapons. Tevin Coleman, there's something about having multiple running backs that really makes a difference in the NFL. And you look at the two teams that are in the Super Bowl this year. Tevin Coleman, breakout season. Devontae Freeman had a breakout season last year. Those are two very good backs for Atlanta. A big reason why they've been able to have a balanced attack. And then you look at the team on the other hand, the Patriots. They have a power running back in LeGarrette Blunt. They have Deion Lewis and do just about everything out there. And then James James White, who is basically an additional receiver, but a great running back as well. And uh, that's why I would argue both teams have great O-lines. You factor that in, both teams are in the Super Bowl. Now, uh, in the NFC Championship, the Atlanta Falcons benefited from a team that has had weak personnel all over the place, and Aaron Rodgers. And... Aaron Rodgers was able to carry the Packers against Dallas's defense, which is incomplete in my opinion. And and Dallas is lucky because they can use Tony Romo and trade him away, and maybe bring in another pass rusher, add someone in the draft. I also argue Dallas should trade Des Bryant too because I think the wide receiver position is overvalued, and Bryant doesn't really fit into that offense with Dak Prescott like he did with Tony Romo. Uh, but Aaron Rodgers was able to pick apart that defense. He went up against Atlanta, a younger a younger defense with a solid pass rush that's been getting better. And I argue Atlanta is one decent pass rusher away from being an elite defense. Uh, and next year, they're, they're going to need to grow. They're going to need to mature a little bit more because they're so young. But Atlanta has a decent defense. Now, the real question is, are they over or underrated heading into the Super Bowl? Well, you have to look at the team they're playing on the other end. The Patriots are as complete of a football team as they've ever been uh, since Tom Brady and Bill Belichick have been there. And honestly, I think the most complete team they had was the first Super Bowl Brady won. Uh, Obviously, Drew Bledsoe didn't fit into that system great, but they had a great O-line, they had some good receivers, and the best defense in the NFL. And right now, the Patriots have a very similar alignment of personnel. The only difference is they don't have the pass rush they've had in years past. And that could be problematic against a team as balanced as Atlanta. Uh, But what I will say is the Patriots will likely employ a game plan similar to what they did against Pittsburgh. Because I don't don't think Pittsburgh and Atlanta offensively are that different. Uh, Obviously, Le'Veon Bell... He might be a little better than Devontae Freeman, uh, but they're still elite running backs. And D'Angelo Williams and Tevin Coleman, I mean, both teams have two great backs. And 
Then you get the offense. You have Sanu, Gabriel, and then Julio Jones. You double Julio. Uh, I, look, I like Julio Jones. I, I think he's a productive receiver. He's controls his temperament. He doesn't talk shit to the corners, and he's very focused. Uh, but again, let's not over the value the receiver position too much. Atlanta scored forty plus points twice without Julio out there in the regular season. They just have a great offensive coordinator and a lot of pieces, a great offensive line, good running game, and the difference is New England's defense probably matches up much better than anyone Atlanta has faced all season. Now, I've said Patriots don't have have a great pass rush, but they are capable of stopping the run with their scheme, and they probably have some of the best, or at least the most athletic defensive backs in the NFL. Uh, Malcolm Butler, he's really done a great job taking over for uh, Darrell Revis when he left a couple seasons ago after they won the Super Bowl. We all know what he did in the Super Bowl. And the amazing thing about Butler is he's always going to be remembered for that great play he made in the Super Bowl, but uh, now he's known as an elite cornerback. He's really stepped into that role well. And I think you could say the same about Logan Ryan, uh, Patriots' number two cornerback. And then they got Devin McCourty back there. And you factor all those in, they are capable of covering Atlanta's receivers better, certainly better than Green Bay and Dallas did. And I think... Atlanta offensively isn't going to be able to do as much. They're still going to be able to move the ball on the Patriots. Uh, But, again, I'm pushing back a little bit. I jumped on the Falcons bandwagon. I said they were the Cleveland Indians of the NFL playoffs this year, and that looks to be the case. Nobody paid attention to them in the regular season. They were in one primetime game all season, and that was up against a Hillary Trump debate, so nobody watched it. Look, the Falcons offensively have a lot that they could do, uh, but I think New England's defensive backs are capable of stopping their receivers, and although the Patriots don't have a great pass rush, they're good at stopping the run. They mitigated what Le'Veon Bell and Williams were able to do last uh, last week in the uh, AFC Championship game, and uh, even if they make mistakes, they make adjustments better than most teams. Now, I think Dan Quinn and Kyle Shanahan are both capable of making second-half adjustments like the Patriots are. Uh, so these teams have a lot in common, but New England has the advantage defensively, no doubt, even though Atlanta's defense is getting better and better every week. They're just young, they're fast, they have one great pass rusher, but that's about it. And I think New England's going to be able to exploit that offensively with all of their pieces. Uh, I think they'll probably run the ball more than they did in the AFC Championship game. Uh but we all know they have Tom Brady out there. It's it's going to be a different matchup because Atlanta Atlanta exploited the weaknesses of every team so far in the playoffs. Seattle's O line, not great. They got to Russell Wilson. Green Bay, they covered their receivers very well. Uh they even put some pressure on Rodgers against that O line that constantly buys him time. And then Green Bay's defense, they were on like their fourth or fifth string players, that uh, defensive back, their safeties and their corners. Uh, they had nobody healthy, and Atlanta was up 31 nothing at one point because of it. And they still scored 40-plus points, as they've done all season. That's going to be difficult. Atlanta needs to score 30, 
35 plus points if they're going to beat the Patriots in the Super Bowl. And I suspect it's going to be a shootout. I think both teams are going to move the ball. Uh, New England isn't going to be able to get to Matt Ryan. I don't think they're going to try to get to Matt Ryan. In fact, I think the Patriots, in all likelihood, are going to employ a similar game plan that they did against the Falcons back in two. I mean, the uh, the the Rams back in two thousand two in the Super Bowl. They're not going to blitz, but they're going to hit everyone as hard as they can and probably uh, gain a few personal foul penalties out of it. But that's that's how you beat a team with a good old line. You don't have to blitz. You need to focus on the receivers, and I think New England will do that. Uh, so they match up against Atlanta much better. I do believe the Super Bowl will be a shootout. Uh, I'll give a more comprehensive uh, preview and my predictions at the end of the week. Uh, I'm also going to be doing a Madden Super Bowl preview, which I've done in the past. Uh, I'm just going to do a simulation and some commentary over it on who Madden NFL 17 expects to win the Super Bowl, but we all know that that's a flawed way of predicting, but it's still fun to see. Um, It'll be interesting. This is going to be a very fascinating Super Bowl because uh, as much as I'm pushing back on the Falcons, I still think they're an underrated team. Uh, I think more credit... Too much credit is given to Julio Jones, and more credit needs to be given to their offensive coordinator and their offensive line and their two running backs. Again, having two running, two great running backs, two dynamic, versatile running backs can make a big difference, as we've seen in the NFL this season. You couple that with a good old line, and makes a huge difference. So that's it for today's podcast. We'll be back tomorrow. I'll also be doing my Super Bowl preview at the end of the week, along with a Madden prediction. And until then, I bid you adieu.